to the Sci-Fi Roundtable podcast. I'm John Cronshaw. I'm Shane Thomas, and with us today, we have Zachary Wheeler to talk about the multiverse. How's it going, guys? My name is uh, Zachary Wheeler, and the reason I'm here is because I write a science fiction comedy series called Max and the Multiverse. Let's uh, start with a quote by a uh, science celebrity from our generation, Neil deGrasse Tyson, on the topic of the multiverse. Neil said, again and again across the centuries, cosmic discoveries have demoted our self-image. Earth was once assumed to be astronomically unique until astronomers learned that Earth is just another planet orbiting the sun. Then we presumed the sun was unique until we learned that the countless stars of the night sky are suns themselves. Then we presumed our galaxy, the Milky Way, was an entire known universe until we established that the countless fuzzy things in the sky are other galaxies dotting the landscape of our known universe. Today, how easy it is to presume that the one universe is all there is. Yet, emergent theories of modern cosmology, as well as the continually reaffirmed improbability that anything is unique, require that we remain open to the latest assault on our plea for distinctiveness. Multiple universes, otherwise known as the multiverse, in which ours is just one of countless bubbles bursting forth from the fabric of the cosmos. I love that uh, that plea for distinctiveness. I mean, what a great way to wrap up the whole you know, plight of humanity for the last <laughs> 100,000 years. I can't speak for everybody, but I want to feel special. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why the multiverse is just so compelling to uh, a lot of people, sci-fi fans especially, just because of that that feeling it gives you of just it's one thing to look up and you know to look at something like the Hubble ultra deep field image and feel insignificant. And then to put that in the context of a multiverse is just like it just completely erases your relevance off the table. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm pretty cool, but what if I had a peg leg? I would be even cooler. (laughs) Somewhere out there, that guy with the peg leg already exists. (laughs) Speaking of that scenario, I read this not too long ago, and I think this is just part of one of the many different multiverse theories. So say, take that instance that you you have a peg leg, like you, you were in a shark attack. Whatever happened. The idea is that activity actually spawned the two universes. So you've had the shark attack, but there's a possibility that you didn't have the shark attack and that the fact that you got bitten by the shark actually spawned the other universe. So now you exist with, you know, a leg and then without. This is going into the realm of the absurd, but I just thought it was a very interesting take on the multiverse theory. That, no, that's a cool one. And I think that's kind of the uh, premise of, uh, the movie Butterfly Effect with uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher. Zachary, I think we talked about this uh, yeah, in the book club a bit. Well, it, every, every time he did something, it would split the universe again. And that's uh, that's pretty much what you summed up there is that uh, our actions would, you know, it's it and, kind of like an ongoing choose-your-own-adventure only of creating uh, gotcha. complex yet distinct realities. And yet I still have yet to see that movie. <laughs> you know, I was tempted to, to go back and, and watch it in prep for this, but instead I just watched the uh, Nova documentary again. <laughs> uh, good choice. Yeah, I think I'm a bit smarter for it. <laughs> Although, speaking of late uh, current media that has done something fun with the multiverse, 
I really enjoyed the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse take on the multiverse. That was a really fun uh, way to do it. If, if, if no one has, has seen it yet, it's a fantastic interpretation. Is that a film? Yeah, it's a uh, it's an animated film. It just won. Uh, I think did, did it win the best uh, animation Oscar? I think it did. I mean, it was so well done. Completely blew my mind. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, the animation was absolutely stunning. But it was about the multiverse, and, and I, I didn't know that there were multiple Spider-Man universes in the Marvel universe. And oh, sure. This yep. was part of the, uh, and that was the whole premise of the film is to bring that aspect of the uh, Spider-Man uh, universe to animation. And it was, uh, and they did it wonderfully. And it was all about, you know, the multiverse, everyone just kind of different versions of Spider-Man <laughs> you know, interacting <laughs> with each other, which was cool. a lot of fun. But I, it's most, the most recent form that I've seen that I, I thought was a, a really fun take on it. It's quasi related. My first Awareness of the multiverse was also comic book related, and it was uh, the DC Comics Crisis for Infinite Earths. Really? Yeah. Look this. I have. Uh, I have it. Uh, they they bound it into a graphic novel. It's a really good storyline, and it's been quite a while since I read it. But basically, there's all these different DC universes, and you know, there's a Superman in most of them, and and a Batman, and all these other guys. But somehow, some way, the bad guy is going around destroying every other reality except for uh, I forget why and, and whichever one he preferred, and then all the different super heroes from every different multiverse need to come together and stop them before there you know before there's nothing left at all and it was also kind of dc's way to tidy up all the different extraneous storylines that didn't count anymore and say no yeah. this is our th- this is how we move forward <laughs> that's one of the best things about the multiverse at least from a, an author perspective or content generating perspective is it just gives you like carte blanche abilities to fill potholes and <laughs> uh, plot holes and uh, and uh, tie up loose ends and it's, I love that I love that about it. Oh it's sure, right and in that environment. Uh, without spoiling, I, I love when one of your characters in in book three just has a uh, total personal being change uh, <laughs> <laughs> altogether. Exactly what you're talking about. That was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm sure I'm sure it's every uh, every young man's kind of ten minute curiosity. <laughs> exactly, and it's like every you you hit the nail on the head. It's like that's every teenager's. I, I basically took every teenage boy's uh, inherent curiosity and made it a reality for a large chunk of the book. <laughs> you'll have to you'll you'll have to read it to uh, to see what that is. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully fans uh, took the cue uh, after I read uh, the excerpt from uh, Zachary's uh, Max in the Multiverse and, and went out and bought one, two, and three of the novels because they are just hilarious. I'm looking forward to book four coming out. Um, hey, by the way, did you uh, actually publish your your little uh, novelette or novella as a uh, paperback as well? Uh, no, the the little sh- the short I did the item yeah. of monumental importance. Uh, yeah. I did I didn't because uh, I had shifted focus pretty hard onto the transient sequel and just uh, it just kind of fell off my radar to ah. put it on. So <laughs> I may I may still do that later down the line, but I just uh, it's it's down the rungs of 
priorities at the moment. So for now, it's just, it just available on ebook. Yeah, it's just a, a Kindle exclusive at the moment. Gotcha. Do do either of you uh, watch Rick and Morty at all? Cause oh, dude, I'm happy you brought that up. Is hands down one of, if not my favorite show ever. Uh, and, it, and it specifically because it tackles the multiverse so well. It's just the idea that you've got all these potential Ricks and all the um, there. Well, yeah, just the several thousand Ricks and Mortys that, and you get the um, the crap version of Rick who. Um, <laughs> Now he becomes, yeah, doofus Rick, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you've got like the obvious, I don't know, there's, there's hints that there's the Rick and Morty that are actually in the series in that multiverse aren't mm-hmm. the correct ones for that universe and it's, yeah, it's crazy. I love Dude, it. I still think one of the most eloquently handled episodes in that entire series is the Tales from the Citadel. Uh, where it takes place in the Citadel of Ricks. Uh, and then we get to, and of course, I'm hoping everyone that's listening to a podcast about the multiverse is <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's just seeing all of that play out and how they interact with each other and, you know, all the different Mortys. And of course, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert, you know, the, the main Morty, <laughs> I won't give anything away. Uh, but it was just some of the most compelling television I've ever watched. And this is just and this is an animated series on you know Adult Swim and yet I think it's some of the most brilliantly done storytelling I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, the the writing is tremendous. I think I think I've said this elsewhere that like, you know, it's the best sci fi show on telly. It's the best animation. Um, it's the best comedy. It's just brilliant. Easily. Totally agree. And Red Shirts as well. Have you read that at all, the John Scalzi novel? I've read plenty of John Scalzi. I haven't read that one yet. The premise of this is that the universe that this ship is in is affected by the narrative of a Star Trek-like TV show in our universe. <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, so it's about the red shirts, so, you know, it's about the people who, who are going to die and oh. someone has worked <laughs> out that they need to fight the narrative, so they basically have to go back in time. Oh, no, no, I'm a red shirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> you and wake they, up one day with the red shirt on, that would be horrible. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like Last Action Hero, where they end up going into the other universe, so they have to travel back to our universe in order to interact with the creators of the show in order to save their reality and stuff. And it's, you know, <laughs> wow. it's amazing. It's really I, good. I want to point out for the fans uh, that obviously can't see us here because we're just audio recording. My closet is more or less like Jack Slater, last action heroes closet <laughs> in that I, all, all my button down shirts are all Eddie Bauer 36, you know, XL tall, and all my T-shirts are all Old Navy V-neck, and all my pants are all Eddie Bauer cargo pants, and that's my entire wardrobe just in very... Uh, you're the last action hero, Shane? Yeah, yeah, except uh, I'm not cool as Arnold, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, I try to make up in my own ways. <laughs> oh, speaking of Arnold, there's another interesting take on the multiverse is the Terminator series. Now, of course, it's a little, that's obviously not the main premise, but just, you know, the world where Skynet, trying to fight the the, the version where Skynet comes into uh, being. I can't wait for the prequel where it turns out that Skynet gets started as a way for social media corporations to better, more 
tailored, advertised to their, <laughs> their answers. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, we kind of get in there anyway, so, you know. <laughs> but, it, you know, I personal embarrassing admission here, I was looking up articles on Google of uh, no snoring tactics or, or methods of, you know, tips and tricks to stop snoring. And now in my Facebook feed, every third or fourth post is uh, <laughs> incredible. Stop snoring. <laughs> Dude, it is creepy how fast that permeates. Uh, it's, I, I'm right there with you. It's like I have an army of uh, uh, like ad blockers and privacy add-ons and all that kind of stuff to try and mitigate that stuff because it is, it is pervasive, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's scary. uh, Well, let me, let me just, uh, finish that thought as well. Uh, people at home, before you get the weird fake septum ring or the band-aids on your nose or the very invasive block that you bite on, instead just point your head up while you sleep like you're a fish that has been pulled out of the water. Um, it lengthens your esophagus, and so you end up uh, snoring less. See, you know what? You know what, Shane? There is a version of you in the next universe that doesn't have that problem. No, but he probably wakes up with a shiner from his wife from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm better off for it, I think. <laughs> it would be kind of fun to take a you know a snapshot of all the different Shanes and their different stop snoring methods. <laughs> Shane C137 has has his own uh, uh, version for uh, dealing with it, and some Shanes are more successful than others. Some Shanes just don't give a crap; right. just like buzz saws and proud of it. Yeah, and some Shanes don't have tonsils. You know, and it's like some and some Shanes just don't have throat. Some Shanes breathe nitrogen, which apparently is. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd prefer to be uh, the Kevin Costner Waterworld Shane that can breathe. Dylan Shane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be the Shane for me. <laughs> Thinking about the um, the Terminator thing, and you know, I'm I'm trying to think of where the where we get the difference between a multiverse thing and a time travel thing. You know, is a Back to the Future style time travel yeah. story. I guess that depends on if you define the whole time travel thing as part of the multiverse, because if you go backwards in time, you create the paradox, which kind of every, all of the, you know, physics aspects of this just kind of fall apart. But you change the reality. Is that, and is that still the reality or have you spawned off another? universe right i think it really hinges on the the point zachary made earlier about uh if your theory is that uh the decisions you make alter and possibly create multiple universes based on that decision if that were the case then it would be a multiverse theory if not it would simply be a parallel dimension theory i love the different variations on it i like being whenever you're talking about the multiverse theory a lot of people we were talking about this uh before but uh, a lot of people kind of assume that the multiverse theory is just its own thing. Is it's like this one idea, and it's actually a collection of different ideas, like the multi-worlds theory, the bubble theory. This one is just I thought was extremely uh, interesting, really good story fuel. 
Uh, have, ever, have any of you uh, heard of this particular one? I think that's the one that Nova focused on and, and that uh, string theory and the yes. Big Bang theory. Where like the Big Bang is the uh, could have been the collision of multiverses and then multiverses can actually bubble off each other like a splitting atom. This kind of suit of <laughs> universes that kind of merge and split and I, I thought that was uh, an interesting interpretation. Might I cut in with some uh, Nova provided facts? And by the way, check out the show notes, everybody, uh, because we'll link to the Nova video so you can be just as smarter, possibly much, much smarter than I am. <laughs> um, so in the Nova show, they, they talked about the origin of uh, the multiverse theory. And it started with a guy named Alan Gutt, uh, who's now a professor at MIT. And he was thinking about the Big Bang and how one Part of the Big Bang Theory no one focused on is the actual bang. And so he crunched a bunch of numbers, which was cool in the Nova show because they showed his piece of paper glowing and numbers floating around in circles. And uh, that was to represent a concept he called repulsive gravity, which was this incredible explosion that created this cosmic inflation energy. So... Outside of any universe, there's this cosmic inflation energy. And then when that, and it's like this rapid explosion. And when that stops in a particular bubble of itself, then that's when a universe is created, one single universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a couple of guys came around it and, uh, it was, let's see, uh, Andre Lind and Alex Villenkin. They, now, at this point, are they referring to it as the eternal inflation? Uh, I think so. Yeah, that's okay. it's always it's always happening and, and spreading mm-hmm. out further and further. But it's beyond anything we can measure in our universe. Mm-hmm. And so these guys said that inflation is an area of mass energy expansion, and our universe is just one of the many bubbles in it, and that the inflation is always going on, and our universe is also always expanding. So it's it's like the whole bowl is getting bigger and every bubble within the bowl is also getting bigger. But there's really no limit to how much bigger all of this can get. So that was kind of a, a theory that stopped dead in its tracks until they uh, scientists were able to examine dark energy and dark matter. And they realized that the presence of dark energy uh, there needs to be a heck of a lot more of it than they can measure. So the one of the only theories that explains where all the rest of dark energy goes is the multiverse theory. Because if you had too much dark energy in our universe, then things would cool off way too fast and matter wouldn't form in a way that would create life. And if it were the opposite, matter would continue expanding so quickly that it would never cool off enough for stars and planets to form. Was this the origin of the the thought that the majority of the universe is comprised of dark matter and dark energy? Yeah, but we can't detect enough of it to account for all the math that suggests that it's there. Mm-hmm. It was like point uh, zero zero zero, like a, a ton of zeros, and then a number one and. It's, you know, dark energy is supposed to, you know, dark energy and dark matter are supposed to be like, I forget if it's, it's a huge percentage of all mm-hmm. matter that exists. And in our universe, there's only like this teeny tiny fraction of it. So that lends to the suggestion that may, maybe there are multiple universes 
uh, you know, multiverses where the rest of this dark energy is. The wheels in our brains start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And kind of, uh, just, we've got one more piece of little factoid and then we can get back to fun. Um, string theory <laughs> is the theory that at beyond in, in as far as, uh, uh, this underneath particles and underneath, uh, quarks and, and the smallest base unit of existence is this energy string. And it, it's the same in all of us. And the only thing that's different about it is the way that it vibrates. And it doesn't vibrate in three dimensions. It vibrates in nine dimensions. And the different combinations of how many dimensions or how many ways it can vibrate throughout all of these nine dimensions are 10 to the 500th power. That's 10 with 500 zeros of different patterns that these things can exist in. So each of those could be a possible different expression of the universe or an alternate multiverse. Man, that's just insane. I, I, I remember hearing a, a pretty slick way of describing it as like a, uh, with almost like notes on a very large cello. You know, it's like you pluck one string, and depending on how that vibrates, that's a, a quark. You pluck another one, that's a boson. You know, that's it's 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 re- it's a hard, hard uh, concept to wrap your head around. Right. Yeah, I think the best way to start on a concept like this is to watch Groundhog Day, and uh, <laughs> you know, each day in Bill Murray's existence would be like another uh, possibility. Um, mm-hmm. Further warped by the fact that he remembers the day before, I might say. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's there's one um, aspect of string theory that really kind of blew my mind. I had to kind of digest this. Is uh, you get to the point where you're down, you can still see atoms. You know, the concept of sight is you know it is an interactive thing. It's like you some light particles bounce off an object and you can perceive that it sends information through your eyes to receptors into your brain. You can see it as an object, but these uh, elementary particles inside the atoms that comprise the nucleus, the quarks, the bosons, all these are so small, so infinitely small that the, the very act of observing them changes them. Uh, because, and that's where a lot of the, the string theory came up because it's, it has to be vibrations and it, it, it can't, you, there is no way to tangibly observe them uh, because that, that whole concept of observation actually alters the particle. <laughs> and, and then you start, and then of course the, the cogs in, the, in my brain lock up and I go back to the beginning and start. I, I love that. That scientific experiment you just referenced, not only for the science of it, but also because it, uh, if you read books like, kind of like The Secret, uh, you know, that uh, manifest your inner desires through intention, those sort of like practical, uh, like real life magic type of books, they like to reference that study just as much as physicists do. Entire multiverse uh, is, is just hypothesis at this point. It's mm-hmm. not even theories that someone can go about testing. And that ends up being the brick wall that you know science always comes up against. It's just like, this is absolutely untestable. 
you know, it, we can come up with them to square some really interesting problems that break down, like uh, like when you get into black holes or like the singularities. Is like that's when Einstein's equations kind of fall apart, and uh, that's where the multiverse kind of helps uh, bridge that gap. Uh, so, but it's still just super fun to think about and trying to figure out ways to to uh, uh, not only just from a completely absurdist point of view, but actually from a grounded point of view. It's like, okay, how would that work? <laughs> it seems like physicists use it as a uh, variable to solve other equations uh, mm-hmm. and, and a philosophical topic to discuss. But then in the realm of fiction, it becomes a whole launch point. Oh, from a fiction standpoint, <laughs> it is just a gold mine of story fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, stretch one character over numerous adventures or, or even go back and rehash that same adventure. And if you think about fan fiction, fan fiction is really just a tale of a character's multiverse adventure. Very true. All right. What if what if the first chapter was really written by said fanboy instead of original author? It's a very good way to look at it. So how are you exploiting it then as a as an author? Like you're featuring it in your work, I mean are you taking any liberties with the idea for, you know, because you're writing comedy or is it just different variations of reality <laughs> or whatever? Uh, there are, there are some I liberties laugh, in his work. I laugh, yeah, I laugh <laughs> because that you basically described the entire concept of the world. It's like I, I take massive liberties <laughs> in the whole thing. Actually, this is, this is a good way to describe it. Uh, it inevitably, I'll get uh, readers that, you know, email me every so often because they had a, a and, and just as a little backstory, the, the, the whole series follows this teenager who is kind of thrust into the multiverse uh, situation. Every time he falls asleep, he wakes up in a new uh, universe and has to deal with it accordingly. Uh, so, and it's the whole premise is mined for comedy. Uh, but inevitably, someone will always... Uh, message me is like, well, this particularly, this thing didn't particularly make sense because if this was this at this point and then it shifted here, then that wouldn't matter. And then, you know, this, and it's just like, and then I always had the same response. It's, did you laugh? Because it was never meant to be taken seriously. It's like, it's, it's grounded loosely in the scientific understanding of what the multiverse would, would be. But I take the multi-world interpretation and run with it. <laughs> Right. There's the one version of a multiverse where what that guy said is valid, but then there's the other multiple universe where what that guy said is invalid because mm-hmm. he said it and it branched off from his notion of what might be correct in the first place. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and answering those kinds of questions for fans is just some of the most fun I have as an author. You can explain anything with the stupidest, weirdest workarounds. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So anyway, to answer, that's a long way of saying uh, I take liberties. Yes. <laughs> so uh, note to all authors out there, the next time you have writer's block uh, because you're stuck on some particular plot point that you just can't shore up, Consider the multiverse. Put that in your writer's toolbox. <laughs> it's just a little red button that you keep next to your laptop that just says multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to butcher this guy's name, but I, I seem to recall reading a book. I think it was by a guy. The same guy who did like a book about uh, the. I think it was called The Science of the Impossible or something, but he did a book about parallel worlds. I think it was. Yeah, Machio Kaku, I want to say. Mm. 
and this was all about the kind of parallel world stuff. It's too big for our minds to get. I think that's the issue, really. Um, <laughs> it's like the bit in, um, what is it, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where he's just got that moment where he sees the infinite. He just cannot get your head around it. You know, it's too big. It's just too much for us. I think that's the same with this, because it's, uh, it's crazy. I think uh, another good example, well, I, the human being that can probably describe to regular people how big this idea is would again be Neil deGrasse Tyson. And if you want to feel like you understand why it's so confusing a little better, he has this segment where he describes dimensions beyond, uh, you know, height, depth and width. He tries to describe, uh, what it would be like if we had extra dimensions in terms of, okay, if you were one dimension, you were a sheet of paper. Two dimensions would be multiple papers on the same desk, and then three dimensions would be stacking papers in one shelf. But then imagine that you had multiple shelves all full of papers in each paper. It was just after that it got kind of so boggling that, <laughs> you know, it's, that was my looking into the all all that is. <laughs> that is but I mean, it's it's exactly right. That's that's one thing I I find so appealing about uh, the multiverse as a concept is just trying to digest it just leads you down this strange rabbit hole that you need to back out of every now and then. <laughs> yeah, you'll certainly come like, away with with a little more possibilities than you started with, but I know that I definitely don't understand it the way that it actually is, or maybe since it is just a hypothesis. That's an interesting question is, do you think we'll ever be able to verify it? I don't think that in the way that it's described uh, on the Nova documentary of basically, um, you know, this, it's all takes place within this uh, this uh, cosmic inflation, this eternal cosmic inflation, and that our universe is only a bubble in it. Well, if we look with our telescopes to see the edge of where the Big Bang was, that was at however many billion light years away, if beyond that is the border between our universe and this eternal cosmic inflation, I don't know what we would be able to, you know, sure, we'd have to have some sort of, currently non-conceivable means of travel mm-hmm. to get close enough to it to observe it. And if we can't observe it, we can't properly understand what it would be. And and just being that we're three-dimensional beings, it might not even be within our grasp as such to understand something that is up to nine dimensions. That's another good point, which you alluded to earlier, is that whole concept of comprehension of dimension, uh, like you were saying. There's actually a, what was this? Was this an episode of The Orville uh, that actually tackled this? Uh, they had entered a 2D world uh, and could only see things as represented from a 2D perspective. Which would then, probably be very boggling. Yes, and it was. It was absolutely mind-boggling, but... From knowing only that, it made perfectly sense. It's like if we just take the mental leap of, okay, we just, we are growing up in a 2D world, that would seem perfectly normal. And then how do you explain even the concept of three dimensions to a two dimensional being? <laughs> yeah. It's like, of course there can be four and five, six, you know, upwards of n dimensions, but it's like, how do you even comprehend 
that, I mean, how do you, dis- how does a fourth dimensional mind describe that to a third, three dimensional mind? We'd have to ask Q from Next Generation. Yes. <laughs> Q's got the answers. Yeah. Reminds me a bit of, have you ever read the book Flatland at all? I think no. E. No. Abbott Abbott. I think it was like late 1800s, and it was a story about a three-dimensional being entering a 2D world, and there's also one-dimensional characters that are just points, and there's a whole class <laughs> structure around 2D shapes that you are. It was absolutely insane, but I mean, it's public domain thing, so you probably get it on like Project Gutenberg for wow. free. So it's called Flatland, and it's, yeah, fantastic. Just you've got this interdimensional thing going on, and, yeah, it's it's amazing. I feel uh, like I've met two-dimensional human beings. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah. <laughs> that would explain a lot, actually. I think a lot of them work at my local Walmart. <laughs> 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 I feel like Walmart might just be stripping a dimension out of humanity. That <laughs> <laughs> would explain so much. I think we've just lost another sponsor, haven't we? So. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. Man, we were depending on that sweet, sweet Walmart cash. <laughs> well, I think we've exhausted what little I understand of the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to have like a grounded lecture style classroom discussion of the multiverse unless I've, we're, you know, at the bleeding edge of you know quantum physics. Well even then those guys are the very brightest on the planet and they openly admit that they just don't even know if it's real. So yeah. Yeah, so I will, I will make that disclaimer to any listener of so that's why that's butchered everything that we're talking about. <laughs> I, I think that that's why it's important that, at, and with all with all science, any scientist that's kind of on the cutting edge of his field is likely to read a lot of science fiction, and this is why. It's because when their ability to observe and create facts based on observations ends. Guys like Zachary can come along and tell them that there is a mythical banjo playing ferret. <laughs> go between multiverses and that inspiration can carry the next wave of scientific facts forward if at some point in my life I see the banjo ferret theory of parallel universes emerge <laughs> I, I will consider that a, a, a complete life <laughs> I, can, I have made my mark on this dimension yeah, at that point you've transcended writing fiction and gone into uh, some some different religious gospel. <laughs> that that we'll call that you taking your L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> all right, I'll take it. It's not out of the question, though, is it? That's right. It, it always starts with an idea. I'm pretty sure there's a Sonic the Hedgehog gene in our body, so. Yeah. <laughs> If I could somersault my way that fast, it's a. I've been playing a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog recently because on uh, I got my son's Nintendo Switch and uh, we got a uh, Sonic Mania and they made a new Sonic game that plays like the old ones. 
Ah. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I loved the old Genesis uh, Sonic games. I was one of the few geeky kids on my block that actually beat Sonic 1. Not because I was great, really? but just because I didn't have that much going on in my summers. And <laughs> as, as older listeners may remember, Sega Genesis did not have a save feature. So when you sat down to play a game, right. you had to sit down to play it until the end or until you died. So mm-hmm. To to beat one game, you had to really go all in. It was an investment, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> it was an investment back in the days when a power surge would just completely <laughs> blank your progress. I'm not having any milk this morning, Mom. I'm taking Sonic One down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There will be and no bad breaks. You are absolutely right. I had not internalized that. So I have I have completely taken that for granted now. That that. Games save. <laughs> I try not to be too much of a gamer, although I am a hundred percent addicted to Pokemon Go, and I Uh-oh. feature it in a lot of my uh, urban fantasy series because it's just a, such a pervasive part of my reality. But I try not to play any other video games except with the kids. Except I did pick up a uh, on the phone an RPG called Another Eden that's by the guys that did Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I was just amazed by the fact that I can shut that app at any time and it opens right back up to where I left off. <laughs> so you don't have to find like the mythical wizard or, or like the glowing post <laughs> at the end of the level anymore. <laughs> just, yeah. It just always saves. You never lose your progress. <laughs> actually a really interesting thing to explore. It's like the multiverse in gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, like uh, take Big Mario, for instance, there's a billion different games. It's like, would you consider all those a different multiverse? It's like, is Mario Kart different than uh, a different universe than Super Mario Brothers? That's there are actually games, there are actually games that tackle the multiverse itself. Did you ever play a game, I think it was an indie game actually, on the um, Xbox 360 called Fez? I know the game you're talking about, I never played it though. Well, it started off and it was like, it looked like a 2D game, and then you could actually spin the world on an axis, which was 3D, but then it changed the two-dimensional possibilities, and then as you worked through the game, you could see in 3D and stuff. It was a mind-blowing game and full of cryptology and codes, and it just ticked all those boxes for me, so yeah, one (laughs) of my favorites. We got the Xbox 360, but we mainly got it for my older son, who's now 11, so we could get the Kinect, uh, basically just to make him run in place during the winter. Keep <laughs> <laughs> up the exercise. I'm going to trick you in the exercise. Yeah. And, and parents, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> my son is really into Super Smash Brothers actually, and uh, that's crazy seeing, like, Jigglypuff against Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid, and it's like, (laughs) these worlds should not be together. Hey, there you go. There's a good example of the multiverse. Yeah. (laughs) Transporting characters from different realms. I've watched him play the adventure mode, and it's like, there's levels that are set in, like, Zelda universe, and then Sonic the Hedgehog universe, and it's, it's insane. So. Wow, they're, they're definitely adherents to the bubble universe theory. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a multi-worlder. <laughs> and even the subspace between the universes as well, which is good. This is an interesting concept, though. It's like, I'm really trying to think of a, of a game that specifically uses the multiverse, and I can't think of one. It's like, uh, you know, EA, if you're listening for me. You mentioned Chrono Trigger, actually. 
Yeah. I, I mean, that's time travel, isn't it? But again, that's one of the ones where you're going back and you can change your reality and stuff based on... I didn't play Chrono Trigger, but another Eden adopts that same concept. Like right now I'm at level 13 or 14 and the characters, there's three different zones I can travel between through what would probably be, be that inflation, that eternal cosmic inflation zone. It's uh you go to this weird place. It's like a bar and a lemon tree and a little girl by a very doctor who seeming telephone booth. And then three glowing portals one of them leads to the future where it's like cyborgs and, and robots and stuff like that. And then one is this kind of medieval like sword and sorcery time. And then the other is like dinosaurs and people in a village around dinosaurs and, and these mythological animals and between the three and they're all interrelated. And there's one kind of genie looking guy that wants to end all of existence in every world. So well, that does sound like Chrono Trigger, <laughs> like the three. Oh, three okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely not going back to play Chrono Trigger until it's uh, ready for the smartphone. If it's the same game, it sounds. Oh, no. There is a frog samurai in this game too, so I, I know that. Oh, there, yeah. Well, there's a frog thing, and yeah, the frogs are character in Chrono Trigger. So yeah. gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe maybe those guys are hip to the. Uh, the multiverse theory. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, it's not a video game, but you know, magic, the gathering is a great example. I think of the multiverse stuff where they kind of went from a bit of a dark fantasy thing. And now you've got all elements of different universes within the same broad game, which is, I played, I was really into magic uh, to the fourth generation back in college. And I had no idea where it's gone from, where it's gone. But Every now and then I miss it. It was a, it was a fun world to be a part of. I used to collect um, mer people. That was my <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, some amazing, amazing things where it's like all mer people plus one, and you've got, you know, about yeah, uh, be a total twenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> Good game. Oh, yeah, this this kind of conversation can spider into the weird really quick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, probably good to uh, put a bow on it and uh, and go back to our corners. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the best place to find you? Sure thing. Uh, so the best place is to go to my main author's website, which is ZacharyWheeler.com. That's spelled strangely with no A or E, so Z A C H R Y Wheeler.com, and from there. Um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all the same handle, Zachary Wheeler. And also on Amazon, you can find all of those uh, book links on the main website. I have several novels, but my primary ones we're talking about for this cast is the Maximum Multiverse series, sci-fi comedy. Hopefully you'll enjoy some good laughs, and uh, it's been a fun conversation, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Zachary. And also in the show notes, uh, you can find links to Zachary in every corner of his multiverse. So remember to check out the Reading the Roundtable of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, and you can check out Minor Shane's books as well. Check out the show notes. And so until next time, cheerio. All right, goodbye, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye, everyone.